ready for what's coming. More speed, more of everything. This is my last chance. If I lose, I never get to do this again. Don't fear failure. Be afraid of not having the chance. You have the chance. no huddles day and periodically usually about once a quarter we have a day that is dedicated solely to missions we have a message that happens at the beginning and then we go do something and so today is one of those days it's a no huddles day the worship team uh, has the day off many of them are already over at Mooresville Middle School and so if you guys are worshiping there with us right now we send a huge welcome to you and I'm so glad that you guys are here with us at the high school we also have another team right now that is preparing the food truck meal we have been serving over 130 each week with the food truck and today is frighteningly enough my day to be the captain so I am the chef for the food truck and we're having tacos so if you want to pray that the food like holds out while we're there that would be much appreciated so a huge shout out to those guys too we believe as a church, as a faith community, that when we use the gifts that we have been given to make a difference in this world, that that is how and when we win. The kingdom of God wins. And so this morning, that ties into what we're going to talk about with the checkered flag. And so today is a low-key day. There's no worship team. I'm wearing shorts. That doesn't normally happen. And we are just going to hang out. We're going to talk about what it means to win. And then for the second half of worship, until about 11.30 or 12, I invite you to go to Mooresville Middle School. Hopefully you got one of these when you walked in this morning, one per family. If you didn't, the greeters have some when you leave. What you will see on the front of it is a, a map of the bash. Next Saturday, we expect over five to 6,000 people to come to Mooresville Middle School for this thing that we spearhead as a church called the Back to School Bash. If you're not familiar with that, if this is your first year at West, then it, you can understand that it is when we go and we give students free backpacks that are brand new, free school supplies that are brand new. It's in a fun atmosphere, so we have bounce houses and a petting zoo this year. I'm so excited. There's like a parrot and a turtle from Africa, so I'm excited about the petting zoo. And then uh, we also give kids a new pair of tennis shoes. So we have like over five... Um, uh, no, not five. We have 5,000 people we are expecting to attend. We have 1,500 students that registered for a pair of tennis shoes. And what happens with that is we wash their feet, we offer a prayer, and if they will accept the prayer, then we pray with them, and then they go and uh, they can experience the bash. I promise, if you've never been a part of the back-to-school bash, it changes, it changes you. Uh, it changes our hearts, it changes the way that we look at things, and many of you have shared with us over the years that you're on vacation, and you hate to miss it, but you still would like to be a part, 
So that's what today is. We have a team of 50 to 60, I believe, that are already over there getting ready for you. So when I quit rambling in just a few minutes, I invite you to take this map, and then you can look on the back. There are directions there to Mooresville Middle School, and then there are three or four different projects there that you can go be a part of. If you can't be on your feet for long periods of time, that's okay. We have uh, opportunities for you. There are, you know, like, um, I think... 8,000 glue sticks that need to be opened and scissors that need to be opened and, and shoes that the tags need to be cut off of. A lot happens between now and next Saturday to make next Saturday happen. So in just a minute, I'm going to share a message that I hope concludes this message series about winning. And then I invite you to go over to Mooresville Middle School. Let's start this morning with prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are big and you are how we experience winning in life. So we give thanks to you that you give us power over evil, that you show us what victory really means. I ask that you be in our midst, be in our conversation, and God, may the words that come out of my mouth uh, be your message and not my own. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we are talking about winning this morning. We are looking at the checkered flag. And I want to show you a picture of someone. He is a U.S. Admiral, and his name is James Stockdale. He was an admiral during the Vietnam War. He was a prisoner of war for eight years in Vietnam. He stayed at this prison camp uh, at the beginning called the Hoi Hilton. That's what the POWs uh, sarcastically referred to it as. And then after he had been in that prison camp, they took him t for the next six years to this place that the POWs called uh, Alcatraz. It was so bad. He was a, an airline pilot, a fighter pilot, and he was shot down over one of the villages in Vietnam. And when his plane landed or crashed, he broke his shoulder, his leg was at a 60 degree angle off of his body, and he crushed his kneecap. He thought his back was broken, and he said he felt completely helpless. The villagers came, and they got him, and they physically drug him to the Hoy Hilton, where he was kept, and he was a POW. They, uh, the stories that have come out of that time and from him, they're so, they show us what winning really looks like. And at the end of the message, I'm going to show you a quote by him. But one of the things that I want us to look at this morning is that he was a POW for eight years. Now, he stayed in one place for two, and then when they moved him to Alcatraz, they moved him there because they could not break his spirit. There, were, there was him and about four or five other people that no matter how hard they beat them, no matter how much they tortured them, they just couldn't take away their will to live. And so he would experience little victories the whole time that he was there as a POW. And that's what I want us to think about for a few minutes today. How do we have victory in our life? How do we win the race? How do we experience the checkered flag? Because sometimes as we go through life, we just don't feel like we're winning. In fact, there are days, I bet, that we feel like we're not winning at all. 
You know, we are this thing called Easter people. If we follow Jesus Christ and, and we worship uh, God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we say that we are Easter people. On Easter, uh, the Sunday in spring, when we celebrate the resurrection after the crucifixion, uh, we, we talk about being Easter people, but we don't talk about it the rest of the year. So this morning, even though it isn't Easter Sunday, I want us to look at that story, and I want us to see what we can take away from that story and apply to our everyday lives, because I believe that's how we win the checkered flag. The story that I want to share with you this morning is the the resurrection story, but it's taken from the Gospel of Luke. And I think it's interesting to point out, as I do every year on Easter, that if you read the different Gospel accounts, they're all different in the way that they depict the resurrection. Now, that does not nullify the story. Actually, I think it gives more credence to it, because if you and I were to go and to experience something, you're going to describe it differently than I do. So this morning, we are going to look at the women as they went to the tomb and and what happened when they got there. And there's a key message that they heard from the angels that I think we can hold on to today as we try to experience the checkered flag in our lives. Here are these words from the Gospel of Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb and they were taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. They were perplexed about this, and then suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He has risen. So this morning, that's one of the things I want us to walk away with is that question that we can start asking ourselves when we feel like that we have just encountered the most insurmountable odds in our lives. Whether our finances are in disarray and we just can't see to the end of the month till when we get a new paycheck. Or if it's that we're sitting across from a doctor and they're giving us a diagnosis that we can't uh, quite comprehend and it's certainly not one that we want to hear. Or if it's a relationship that is uh, in the process of severing or has been severed and, and we just don't know how to go on without that person in our life. Or if it is that we have experienced the death of a loved one. I want us to think back to this time when the the women encountered these two angels, which are messengers from God, and they asked them, why do you seek the living among the dead? So when we are in the depths of despair and we find ourselves just absolutely at the bottom, let's ask ourselves, why why am I looking for the living among the dead? And if we'll ask that and then we'll answer it, I believe that's how we experience the checkered flag in life, and that's how we get the motivation to continue. You see, when the women went to the tomb that day, I want us to look at the mindset that they had when they went into it. You know, they experienced and honored the Sabbath the day before. So they had watched Jesus be tortured. They watched him be put up on the cross. They 
watched him die. Most theologians say, theologians say that the women were there watching him die, and the disciples were actually in hiding, the male disciples, because they were afraid that they were going to be next. So the women were there, and they watched him die, and then they watched probably his body be taken down from the cross, and uh, it was not enough time to prepare the body for burial. So Joseph of Arimathea donated a tomb, and they went and put his body in the tomb. And uh, practicing Jews honor their Sabbath. So at dusk, they don't work anymore, and that includes preparing a body for burial. And so what they did, the women, they went home, and can you imagine their despair and their grief? I mean, we know how we feel, right? I mean, this was their Savior, their Messiah, their Lord, and all of a sudden, he's gone. And not in a nice way, but one way at the hands of evil. So they're just devastated. And they go and they honor their religious ritual. Do you have a religious ritual that you hold on to? Clearly you do if you're sitting here right now or you're worshiping online because you're worshiping. That is actually one of our religious disciplines or rituals that we adhere to. Uh, others that we could have are meditation or prayer or scripture reading. Um, there are things that we can do that help us connect to the divine. So these women go home and they're devastated. And what do they do? They turn to their faith. And I think that's what we have to do when we find ourselves in the middle of the pit and it looks like there is no hope and no way out. We have to turn to our faith. And so for the next 24 hours, they wait. I imagine that they prayed. And I imagine that because then at sunrise the next day, after the Sabbath is over, what do they do? But they participate in their religious ritual and they get burial spices and they take them to where they think they're going to find Jesus's body so in their pit in their darkness they don't turn away from God they they keep holding on to some anchor that is holding them together and then they perform this act of their of their faith and they go to the tomb with their spices in hand, and then when they get there, they encounter these two men in dazzling white, and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. Now, we don't read in any of the Gospels what these women think about for those several days. We just know that they go home, they wait, and then they act on their faith. But I want us to put ourselves in their shoes for a few minutes. They had no idea that there was a possibility that Jesus was going to have been resurrected. They're not expecting that. So I doubt very seriously that they were staying, staying in their homes on bended knees saying, God, please, 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 when we get to the tomb tomorrow, let him not be there. They weren't expecting to find the living among the dead. So what do we expect when we find ourselves in the middle of utter despair and utter darkness? Because I think if we go in it expecting something, I think that's when we can find it. 
Do we expect to find God and hope in our moments of darkness? Or do we just accept them as what they are? Yesterday, in the middle of the day, I got, I got a text from Linda Thompson, and it said, I want you to pray for Brian. He has fallen off a ladder, a 20-foot ladder, and they are rushing him to CMC. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I will definitely pray. Let me know. I'll, I'll meet you at the hospital. And she's like, I'll let you know as soon as I find out any details. When uh, several hours passed, uh, he was having lots of tests. And so when they finally got him into ICU and Linda could see him, I, I went and met them there. And I walked in and the first words out of Brian's mouth were, um, is it too late to give money to the bash? I said, you are every preacher's dream. I mean, who has fallen off a 20-foot ladder and is lying flat on their back with internal bleeding and they're watching just to make sure that nothing else is wrong? And, and the first words out of their mouth are, here, let me give some money to the church. I said, Brian, I, you're like the poster child of a, of a church person. Uh, thank you. But the funny thing about my visit with Brian yesterday is, that was his spirit the whole time I was there. I mean, he was more worried about the gentleman whose home he was at when he was doing some work. He owns a landscaping company. He was more worried about how he felt and absolving any guilt that he had than he was worried about himself. And then he was worried about his kid's birthday party that's supposed to happen on Friday. And he's like, I've ruined that. I'm not going to be able to, to make their birthday special. I'm like, Brian, they won't remember. I promise they'll just remember that you celebrated with them. They're not going to get hung up on the day. I promise. The whole time I was there, he couldn't move. I mean, he has feeling in his extremities, so he, we don't, you know, think there's anything wrong there. But, I mean, he is in so much pain. He's broken so many ribs. He's punctured a lung. They believe that he'll be there at least a week. And the whole time, all he could do was worry about other people and then make jokes about why he was there. We joked about his inability to fly and that we like to call him Superman but really maybe not try flying again it was it was a jovial time I don't know that if I had fallen off a 20-foot ladder and had broken so many ribs and was in excruciating pain if I'd be lying there asking about other people you know, sometimes when bad things happen to me or I feel like they're bad, you know, I just, I tend to get in it and sometimes I think I just wallow. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have bad stuff happen and you just sort of stay there and you sit in it for a little while? The women didn't. The women that experienced the power of the resurrection did not wallow in their sadness. And I think if anybody could, they could. They had... They had justifiable reasons. But they dug down deep inside themselves and they held on to their faith and they did their ritual, probably even though they didn't feel like being religious because this is their Messiah, right? And he's been taken from them. And they went and they did it anyway. And when they showed up, while it was still dark, when they showed up, God was there. And they were able to find that death is not the victor. Life is. 
That's one of the things that I think is so beautiful about all the resurrection stories. They all encounter a risen Jesus in a different way. There are so many people in our world that, you know, say that scripture is irrelevant and just a bunch of bull because it's not consistent. But we're humans, right? So when we tell our stories, they're going to come across a little different. I think there is beauty and power in the fact that so many people, after Jesus died, experienced a living God. Either it's the greatest conspiracy theory ever known to man, or there's truth in the message that God is bigger than renewal, God is bigger than resuscitation, God is in resurrection. Think about that for just a second. When we renew something, we breathe life into it, we you know, give it some energy and we revamp it and it's going again. And resuscitation is when you go and, and you put life back into something that was once alive but is now dead and you breathe life into it again so it's resuscitated. But then resurrection, resurrection's different. Resurrection is when you have new life in a new form. And that's the promise that we're given. That's our checkered flag. And when we hold on to that, in those moments of despair, I promise the worst things aren't the last things. Just over a uh, a week ago, I had the, the privilege of sitting with the Brooks family. And Judy, I know you're worshiping with us this morning here. And as I sat across the table, that uh, they had just experienced the loss, the sudden death of their 26-year-old son. And he was a part of the West community. And one of the first things that Judy said to me was, one of, the favorite, one of my favorite things that you ever say is that the worst things are never the last things. And that's what I'm holding on to today. You know, folks, that's not a story in the Bible. That's real life. It just happened just over a week ago. One of the people of our tribe, of our community, experienced the worst thing. Because I can't imagine a greater tragedy than losing a son. But sitting in that moment, she was able to dig down into her faith and, and realize that God shows up even in the darkest of times. We don't see the physical presence of God except through one another, but we can feel it. And we can know that God is at work even when we aren't thinking about it. And God does always hold it all together. The women then later on encountered the risen Christ and it changed everything it was a victory a small victory in a small part of the world but look what happened when it became contagious if we will live lives of victorious living the contagiousness that comes changes things So uh, this week I had a coaching call. I have a coach that the conference helps us with. And um, if you read the Friday email, we send out an email every week that has just some devotional thoughts. And we're talking about what we're going to have in worship this weekend. Um, So if you read that, I apologize. If you didn't read it, 
here's what I wrote about. I have a coach with the conference, and, and he was asking how things were going. He commented that he thought West, you know, he's like, so did things calm down this summer? Are things going pretty slow? I'm like, actually, no. Summer for us is, is sort of like Christmas. In fact, this is our Christmas week. Uh, we have lots going on. We do this thing called the Back to School Bash. So I gave the spiel. You know, we have over 1,800 students. It's the most ever. They've registered for shoes, 1,500 shoes. We feed them lunch, so we need like 7,000 hot dogs and 7,000 hot dog buns. And I just went through the whole thing, and I get excited every time I talk about it because it just is one of those excitable things because we get to see Jesus at work in our community and in our midst. And we get to see it come together. Talked about it for just a few minutes. And he said, okay, well, what's in it for West? And that took me aback. I'm like, what do you mean, what's in it for West? I'm like, it gives the church purpose. Like, we've been working on this since March or February. Um, It helps us use our resources to make a difference in our local community because we believe in being locally locally missionally minded and globally missionally minded so this is a a thing where we unite together with 10 or 12 other churches and area businesses so it brings the community together and I said oh and you want to know the coolest thing like when this started seven years ago it was pretty much the launch team of West and the people of Williamson's Chapel that volunteered at this event but now it really is a true community event and so many of the people that come to receive the free services they also volunteer at the event as well to me that's one of the coolest things ever because we really do look like the early church in the book of Acts where everybody pulled their resources together to make a difference so I went through all that and he said okay well that's nice but what's in it for West And then I realized what he was asking. He wanted to know how many new church members we were going to get out of it. Is our worship attendance going to increase? Is it going to impact our giving? Is, you know, those statistics that everybody likes to measure. I said, you know, I guess Wes probably picks up a couple of people every year after the bash. People that either are very missionally minded or something. I said, "I, I don't know. And then I just, you know felt like an idiot and he changed the subject and I was really glad I called my friend Amy Coles my mentor that night and I'm like have I missed the boat like are we doing something bad by having the back to school bash are we putting too much energy into something that doesn't make a difference and she said have you lost your mind I'm like well you know we're all measured by statistics and And she said Andrea okay so what if Wes doesn't get a new member from the back-to-school bash. Tell me about the impact it has on the kingdom of God. Hmm. It's like, oh, kingdom of God, that's pretty big. People coming together, sharing, loving. That's big. She said, well, there's your win. And that's what's in it for West. It doesn't always have to be about a number. We all get to define our wins differently. For us, it's that we do spend six to eight months of a year working to spearhead something. Because if you weren't willing to spearhead it, I'm not sure it would happen. It takes lots of people and churches and businesses to pull it together, but somebody has to lead it. For us, that's a win. You 
in your life and I in my life have an opportunity to win every single day. And when we are in those darkest of moments, there is a win. I want you to take a look at a quote by the Admiral that I told you about at the beginning of the story. And if you walked in just a few minutes later, this was a gentleman who was an admiral, an admiral in the Vietnam War. He was shot down. He was a POW for eight years, spent two years in the Hoi Hilton, is how they uh, refer to it, and then they moved him into isolation for eight more years because they could not seem to break his spirit. And here is a quote that he said. We must never confuse our faith that we will prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our current reality, no matter what they may be. We must never confuse faith that we're going to prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our current reality, no matter what they may be. So we're in, when we're in the middle of the darkest of days, and when we feel like death is the winner and darkness and injustice and pain is winning, let us not confuse our faith with confronting that reality. Because the only way we're going to get through the darkness is to walk one step at a time. That's a promise we're given by God. You're not going to ever walk alone. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because I'm with you. And surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you're going to dwell in the presence of God forever. That's what a win looks like. The worst thing are never the last things. Let us pray. And gracious God, thank you for being a God of hope. And thank you for being a God that shows us that when we are surrounded in darkness, if we'll just hold on to you through friends, through a church family, through our faith, we do get to win because good always wins in the end. In Christ's name, amen. So if you walked in late at the beginning of the service, I explained that today is a no huddles day. So I kept the message to 34 minutes or 31 minutes, so that's a slight miracle for me. Uh, hopefully you got one of these when you got here. It is a map of Mooresville Middle School. Lane Smith will show you her picture. She is the director of the Back to School Bash. Look for her. She has on a team leader shirt. The directions to the middle school are on the back of this piece of paper, and there are lots of different things you can do. You can sort school supplies. You can lay out all the clothes that you've folded over the past year. You can set up books for the bookstore, the free bookstore. You can cut tags off of tennis shoes, and you can unwrap uh, backpacks. There's lots for you to do. We are a church that believes in being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. If you can't do that, if you've got other plans today, we, and I'm not kidding, we need about 7,000 hot dog buns. So if you feel so inclined and would like to go buy some hot dog buns, please do so. And then you can drop them by the West office any day this week. If you don't want to do that, just go pray. 
Go pray for the back to school bash. Pray that somebody's life will be touched by people pooling their resources together. As I shared with you, I am the captain of the food truck today. So I'm going to not be with you at the middle school. We'll be serving taco meat to over 100 people. And so if you want to pray for that, that'd be good. But may you go in the peace of knowing that we are always victors in the end when we live as a people of faith. Go in peace. Amen. Into the streets, we're coming out. We never sleep, never get tired. The seventh annual Back to School Bash is scheduled for Saturday, August 5th from 8.30 a.m. until noon at Mooresville Middle School. The Back to School Bash is a community event which gives over 1,500 local students a fresh start to their school year with new shoes, school supplies, and backpacks. Who's gonna save the world tonight? Who's gonna bring it back to life? The Bash will also offer books, clothing, food, entertainment, bounce houses, games, and more. We're gonna save the world tonight. Register for the Back to School Bash, volunteer to serve, or donate at b2sb.org.